In the vast cosmos of cinematic history, few stories have resonated as powerfully as the Star Wars saga. This 80s flick sequel is the third installment of George Lucas's spacefaring epic that draws us back into a galaxy far, far away where the eternal struggle between light and darkness reaches its crescendo. The saga continues with Luke Skywalker as he discovers the truth about his family tree and battles the treacherous Emperor Palpatine with the help of his brave companions, Princess Leia, Han Solo, Lando Calrissian, and the faithful Chewbacca. While the Rebel Alliance entreats its final battle against the oppressive Galactic Empire, the movie captivates its viewers not only with its cutting-edge special effects, but also by exploring the emotions and motivations of its characters. So ready your lightsabers and remember to use the Force as we journey back in time when the Ewoks danced, the new Death Star was vanquished, and Anakin Skywalker's legacy was ultimately defined as Chris McMitchin and I discuss Star Wars Return of the Jedi from 1983 on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Return of the Jedi from the desert fortress of Jabba the Hutt. To the Death Star of the Galactic Empire. To the forest city of the Ewoks. This is the climactic chapter in the Star Wars saga. Remember the Force. Rejoice in the triumph. Return of the Jedi. Rated PG. Now playing at a theater in your galaxy. Hello, movie viewers and movie lovers. My name is Tim Williams, the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. On each episode, I'm joined by an 80s Flick-loving guest co-host to talk about one of the great and sometimes not-so-great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser-known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now-defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which 80s flick we choose for each episode, we have a lot of fun sharing first-time watch memories, discussing our favorite iconic scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and follow 80s Flick Flashback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And while you're there, leave us a stellar written review and a five-star rating. You can also support the show by following us on our social media pages. Just search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And don't forget to check out our website, 80sflickflashback.com as well. If you want to take your support to the next level, you can become a financial partner for less than $10 a month. The link to financially support the podcast is located in our episode show notes. And while you're there, be sure to check out more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show. All right, well, welcome in, everybody. So glad to have you for this final installment of our Summer of Sequels series. We have tackled sequels of movies that we've covered previously and uh, I don't want to say I saved the best for last, but probably one of the most beloved sequels of the 80s, if not the one that came up before it, which we already talked about. But Empire Strikes Back is probably number one, but a close second would probably be Return of the Jedi. And so 
uh, because he was with me to talk about Empire Strikes Back, and he's a true Star Wars fan. I had to bring back my good friend, Mr. Chris McMitchin. How you doing, sir? Doing good. Always glad to be here and uh, excited to talk about some Star Wars anytime. And this is actually the first time we've done uh, a podcast not in the same room. So the first time you've done Verve <laughs> kind of virtual. And maybe think we did one, one, I think maybe the very first one we did way, way back in season one. Maybe so, yeah. You might have done, but you know, if you go back to season one, just no, we were learning a lot. We were, we were yes. trying. <laughs> it's not the best audio quality, but we still had a good time talking about stuff. But for sure. Uh, but yeah, the Return of the Jedi, I mean, this is one of the sequels that I definitely remember have fond memories about. Uh, so we'll, we'll get into that. But when did you see Return of the Jedi for the first time? Did you see this one in the theater? Oh, yeah. Uh, of course, you know, I, I saw all these first run in the theater. Okay. And, yeah. and obviously, you know, as the, um, it was by the time both the first two had come out, I would go as far to say it already granted itself legendary status. I mean, you know, <laughs> right, right. The, the fandom, you know, we haven't seen anything like it for mm. a triumvirate of movies, you know, um, maybe since. But there have been, uh, you know, a lot of instances where I've seen it a bunch of times since then. Mm -hmm. But uh, yes, when it first came out, definitely in the theater. I'm sure I was a first week kind of nerd. <laughs> it was, you know, there and, and right, before right. anybody could spoil any of it. Yeah. Uh, of course, you know, back then without the internet nearly so much, uh, obviously being involved in things, mm -hmm. uh, it was just word of mouth that was the spoiler at that time. But still, people were seeing it left and right. So oh, wildly yeah, yeah. popular and, and it was great to see it in the theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is one that I definitely saw in the theater. And I know I probably told this story in the last time, but so I didn't see them in sequence because I know you're a little older than me, a few years, mm -hmm. not many, but a few. So I was too young to see Star Wars in 77, but I saw Empire Strikes Back. And then I think they re-released Star Wars like right after Empire Strikes Back came out. So I remember, so I think I saw them all in the theater. I just didn't see them in sequence. But I remember one of the best memories I had about this movie is I remember seeing the commercial for this on TV. And it was the first time I remember like mentally remembering the day the movie came out. Like I remember it being a Wednesday, which I thought was interesting because typically they came out on Friday and I was like, Oh, it's coming out on a Wednesday. Well, that's weird. But you know, it was before Memorial Day weekend, which back then school probably definitely wasn't out yet. We were going to go all the way to the end, but, but I remember seeing the commercial on TV and telling my parents, Hey, Return of the Jedi is coming out on Wednesday, May, you know, May 23rd or 25th, I think, whichever it is. Uh, we'll get to that. But so, I mean, that's like a memory that I I definitely remember uh, knowing that it was coming out. And we were all Star Wars fans because, and I've talked about this too, that when uh, they were replaced, the, the original Star Wars Episode Four on HBO, you know, because they played PG movies during the day, it would run probably every day, probably two or three times a day to the point that I had it memorized. My sister came downstairs one time and, and saw me in front of the TV, like verbatim quoting the movie line for line. And she's like, okay, you need something else to do with your life. you know." <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so this is one that I definitely remember seeing in the theater. And of course, being a little bit older at that point, understanding more of the story and all that kind of stuff and appreciating a little bit more, uh, for sure. So, but how long has it been uh, since you watched it before rewatching it for the podcast? Did you rewatch it here the last day or two? Uh, yeah, I watched it yesterday again. To, you know, just to hone in on a little few details that I might have missed. And you oh, know, yeah. you always 
you always pick things up, even as many times as I've seen it. You know, you mm-hmm. look at it a little more critically, I guess, right before you do one of these kind of uh, recordings. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I also think maybe, you know, it's on TNT and TBS. Yeah, all these, the time. These are yeah. on all the time. And when it comes to holidays like Memorial Day weekend or whatever, they'll mm-hmm. run a marathon now. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, they've got nine of them to choose from now. So <laughs> they'll run right. them all. It takes, it takes the full weekend. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure I've seen bits and pieces of it. I probably haven't seen it, though, start to finish since, you know, Disney Plus first came out mm-hmm. and we and we watched it with the girls because right. my girls you know had not experienced any of that of course live <laughs> so uh it, we wanted them to experience the them in order so that was kind of a unique thing you know and and uh my oldest daughter cadence is especially a a big fan of the star wars franchise mm-hmm. she she is just in fact, this has nothing to do with that, except that she's so excited for Ashoka, I can't even believe it. <laughs> she's like, it's like 10 days away, Dad. I'm 10 days away, you know? Right, right. <laughs> but uh, yes, I, it's funny you mentioned that, too, about seeing Star Wars, because we had a dollar movie theater back mm-hmm. in my hometown growing up, and they showed Star Wars the week that the Return of the Jedi was coming out. Oh, wow. Okay. So you can go and, you know, remember that mm-hmm. experience. And, and it was literally just a buck to get in. You see, yeah, it, yeah. they ran movies all day. It was just two two theater boxes. You know, mm-hmm. that was it. Because it was right. a very, very old theater. But they mm-hmm. ran two, whatever it was, movies, mm-hmm. two different shows for a dollar. They ran them for like a week, and then they'd swap them out. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I missed the good old dollar theaters. Because, I mean, that's yes. there was one I remember as a kid. Like, I saw a lot of... A lot of the movies I saw as a kid, we probably saw at the Dollar Theater, would wait for it to kind of have its run. And then, yep. you know, my mom would take me and my sister, you know, or we'd, we'd catch the matinee, you know, things like that. Until I became like a teenager, then I would usually see stuff a little bit more for, you know, first week they came out was a little bit more on the on the on the ball with it. But but yeah, I miss those uh, those Dollar Theaters. But you yeah, could it, go back too and see them yeah. a second time. Yeah. If oh, you yeah. really liked it, mm-hmm. you could get that theater experience <laughs> for cheap, which was always yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the last time that I watched. I'm kind of like you. I, I, it's like you, know, you said, it's always on TBS, TNT, like what, you know, that basic, those basic cable channels that they will run them. I, I think it was even on this past week. I, I was flipping through when they had like Empire Strikes Back and then Return of the Jedi was coming on right after that. I'm sure they would. They uh, they mix in a solo story or a Rogue One in the mix every once in a while as well, uh, but yeah, I think I watched uh, for a while. I would watch all three of them, if not every year, every couple of years. Like w- especially once it became uh, once it went digital, and you could yep. watch them digital. Uh, but I had I had the three VHS, like I had the VHS set of it. Uh, I'd got for Christmas one year and I really wish that I still had it because I think that was the last one before Lucas redid the re-releases and now they're all in the, you know, with all the additional stuff and uh, changing some of the storyline, I guess. So it's kind of hard. It was hard. You know, even when we talked about this when doing Empire Strikes Back, yeah. it's hard rewatching it now because all the new stuff in it, you're kind of like, man, I just, I want to see the original again. I know it's not going to be in 4k quality and, you know, yeah. super, you know, uh, surround sound, but just for that, the pure nostalgia of seeing it, it's an original cut or, you know, original edit without all the extra stuff, which, you know, the new stuff, the new ones aren't terrible. I mean, I, I think I appreciate them a little bit more now that I've gotten a little older because I see what, 
Lucas was trying to do and trying to bring, he's adding things in he couldn't do back then. Yeah. But there, there are certain times it just, it kind of takes you out of the story when, it, when he does that. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that as we, as we get into it. But sure. uh, I know I've watched them since they've been on Disney plus. So probably, uh, it's probably been about two years since I watched return of the Jedi again. But mm-hmm. once again, it's one of those movies I've seen so many times. It's like, yes. I, I don't really, I wouldn't have to rewatch it, but I rewatched it again this morning. Just like I said, just to, you know, make sure it's still fresh in my mind. But yeah. I think the things that stuck out to me were more the things that are new that I'm not used to seeing as mm-hmm. much as the ones that I'd seen over and over and over again. But all right, we well, want to talk about story origin and pre-production. Let's see how this movie got made. Sounds right. good. Yeah. All right. So uh, we'll dive a little, not super deep into this, but you know, and the thing about doing a Star Wars movie, a movie like this, there's been so many different re re-edits or, or, or re-releases of the VHS, the DVD, the Blu-ray, the 4K, all the behind-the-scenes things they've done. So mo- some of the stuff may seem a little uh, common knowledge, but this is what we talk about on this podcast. So maybe it's new for somebody, so hear us out. Sure. <laughs> so uh, after discussions between George Lucas and Howard Kazagin, I hope I s- said his name right, a sequel to Empire Strikes Back was quickly put into production. Like the previous film, Return of the Jedi was personally financed by Lucas, who chose not to direct it himself and began searching for a director. David Lynch, who had recently been nominated for an Academy Award for Best Director for The Elephant Man in 1980, was approached by Lucas to helm Return of the Jedi, but declined, saying he didn't have enough interest in the project. David Cronenberg was also offered the chance to direct, but he declined to make Videodrome and The Dead Zone. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've seen the dead zone. That's a Stephen King movie, which is pretty interesting movie, but Videodrome, Yeah. I think I missed that one. Uh, mm-hmm. L- Lamont Johnson, director of space hunter adventures in the forbidden zone. There's a forgotten eighties flick. If you haven't yep. seen it was also considered, that was one I saw in the theater. I've told that story before, uh, <laughs> but a- according to the documentary empire of dreams, the story of the star Wars trilogy, Steven Spielberg, who is a lifelong best friend with George Lucas, was Lucas's first choice to direct, and even though Spielberg would have loved to direct the Star Wars movie, he was forced to decline because he is a member of the Directors Guild, and Lucas had dropped his Guild membership over disagreements about Star Wars Episode Five: Empire Strikes Back. As a result, Lucas hired the relatively unknown and at the time non-union Welsh director Richard Marquand. Lucas was also impressed by Marquand's ability to bring in a movie on time and on budget, a very real concern of Lucas after the budget overruns experienced on Empire Strikes Back. Lucas himself was admitted to being on set frequently because of Marquand's relative inexperience with special effects. Marquand praised Lucas as a, quote, very nice person who worked well with actors, but also noted that Lucas kept a conspicuous presence on set. He joked that it's like trying to direct King Lear with Shakespeare in the next room, which I think (laughs) is a great quote. Yeah, Yeah, it's good. I did some of the research before I watched it today. But if you would have, if it was one of those trivia questions, like if we went to a Star Wars trivia night and someone said who directed Return of the Jedi, I would not have pulled that name out of <laughs> that. No. name would not have come up. Like I know about nope. Kurt, you know, uh, was it Erwin Kershner or whatever uh, that yeah. did Empire Strikes Back. Of course, Lucas directed the first one, but mm-hmm. I don't know why. I think in my mind, I was thinking that Lucas directed this one as well. Like I don't think it being directed by someone else, but. 
Yeah, and you know, it it makes a lot of sense, I guess, when you're fitting the bill with your own money, you obviously want somebody who's going to come in under budget or at yeah, budget. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess that'd be one of my first concerns too if I was putting all the money forth for all this stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But man, what would it what would it have been like if Spielberg had directed? I mean, wow. can you imagine a Spielberg directed no Star Wars movie? And it's it's crazy that that little membership card is the only thing that caused him not to not to be able to say yes. Exactly. Exactly. It probably would have actually been a reality, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good old unions. But that's a that's a discussion for another time. Yep. Uh, so, all right. So a little bit about the uh, script. So the screenplay was not completed until well into the pre-production phase of the film after a production schedule and budget had already been established. This was an unusual situation for a film at the time. In order to begin working with the art department, the production team relied on Lucas's story and a rough draft of the script. When it was finally time to write the shooting script, Lucas, Kasdan, Marquand, Kazajian spent two weeks in a conference discussing ideas. Kasdan then used transcripts of these meetings to construct the screenplay. Uh, another thing was the issue of whether Harrison Ford would return for the final film also became a problem during pre-production. Unlike the other stars of the first film, Ford had not contracted to do two sequels, and Raiders of the Lost Ark had made him an even bigger star. Kenzangian, who also produced Raiders of the Lost Ark, convinced Ford to return. This is another thing that's kind of pretty well known, that Harrison Ford actually wanted Han Solo to be killed off at the end of the second movie, which is why he didn't sign on for the third one. Uh, yeah. But they that was the reason that I think we talked about this on the Empire Strikes Back episode, that that's mm-hmm. why the whole storyline of him being in Carbonite. That way, if he didn't come back for the third movie, then we kind of knew where he was, but they weren't going to kill him off in case they could bring him back or even, you know, have him from some part of the third movie. But he would have uh, just been Han Solo artwork. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> when he finally signed on to do the third one, he still asked to be killed through self-sacrifice in the first act, but Kasdan said it would happen. Uh, Kasdan said it should happen near the beginning of the third act to instill doubt as to whether the other actors would survive. But Lucas was vehemently against it and rejected the concept. The ongoing success of the Star Wars merchandise and toys led George Lucas to reject the idea of killing off Han Solo in the middle part of the film during a raid on the Imperial base. Luke Skywalker was also to have walked off alone and exhausted like the hero in a spaghetti western. But according to Kurtz, Lucas opted for a happier ending to encourage higher merchandise sales. Harrison Ford himself has agreed with the sentiment, saying that Lucas didn't see any future in dead Han Solo toys. <laughs> uh, well, so what yep. do we know about Lucas? He's always looking at the bottom line. He's looking at that, sure. that making that money. But that, I, I guess that does. Story-wise, I can see why they would want to have Han die in the movie, you know, that's, that's a pretty well-known trope at this point where someone close to the team dies and it's all about, you know, for revenge or for, you know, we're doing it to avenge honor. Yeah. Honor and that kind of thing. So, but to keep them alive still works as well. You got to remember too, that, you know, that merchandising thing, it was no joke. I mean, back then it it was huge, you know, lunch boxes and, and um, uh, there's still to this day, you know, some of the most, I, I guess, best-selling Lego mm. sets are oh, yeah. Star Wars yeah. figure sets and things. Yeah. And I know maybe not directly a Han Solo Lego, you know, but <laughs> in general, the merchandising part of it is just huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm trying to remember, like, I mean, of course, I had 
a good number. I, went, I didn't have a huge collection, but I had a pretty big number of the action figures. I yeah. had Star Wars. I mean, I had the Han Solos and Luke Skywalkers mm-hmm. from all three movies. Yep. Um, I had the Ewok playset. Like I remember that being like a Christmas <laughs> gift. So I remember having that, uh, which I read later. They repurposed it for the uh, uh, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves toy set <laughs> that came out a couple of years later. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> but I think, I, you know, sometimes I'll see pictures. People will post about the old classic lunchboxes. I'm pretty sure I had the Return of the Jedi lunchbox, like the oh. die cast one that had Luke yeah. Skywalker pointing his pistol at Jabba the Hutt. Pretty sure I had that one. Good old memories of the of the toys. Were you past the toys at that point? Were you still no. were you a toy collector at that point? No, and I, I may have I may have said this on our last podcast. I can't mm-hmm. remember, but I I know that we I went as uh, for Halloween one year. I went as Luke Skywalker. And oh my right, dad yeah, yeah. Made a lightsaber out mm-hmm. of a of a um a really bright uh <laughs> flashlight and mm-hmm. just some tubing you know that mm-hmm. he put together it was just yeah. clear tubing and he put like a bottle cap or something on the end of it maybe it's like a milk carton cap you know on the end of it and the thing at night you know it, the light was shining through mm-hmm. it. it looked pretty pretty interesting i had to make all the whoosh and no- noises myself <laughs> yeah. you know that sound with sticks and stuff back in, I know. on the playground it, it, and man, I just this week somehow I saw, uh, or maybe it was last week, you know, so I see an ad pop up every once in a while. Uh, you know, the, the Big Brother knows I'm a Star Wars fan, <laughs> so these guys like make legit. I mean, they yeah. won't cut anything, but legit. Oh, yeah, yeah. You mm-hmm. know, lightsabers now they, mm-hmm. they light up in the dark and like like bottom to top, just mm-hmm. like the real ones, and they make the sounds and all. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. it is crazy how much that's mm-hmm. come along. Oh and, yeah, you know. To have seen me on my Halloween costume one <laughs> at a kind of time kind of dorky, but I tell you what, everybody I I knew and went to their house mm-hmm. knew who I was. Yeah, they knew exactly. who I was supposed to be. You exactly. know, exactly. Yeah. Good old DIY Halloweens we had back in the eighties. We didn't exactly. If you couldn't afford the the uh, like the trash bag cover and the plastic <laughs> uh, the plastic mask with a rubber band that broke about ten minutes after you went out walking around. Yeah, and, uh, and that little and. And on those stupid masks too, they had like a, a, a air hole for your mouth, like the size <laughs> of a dime, you know. And I'm like, I can't breathe in this. Right, thing. right, right. Yeah, I remember. Break it, it yeah. off before you get to the second house. <laughs> <laughs> memories, man. Memories. Exactly. That's what this show is all about. That's it. Yeah. Oh man. All right. So a few more things here. We'll talk about. So Yoda was originally not meant to appear in the film, but Marquand strongly felt that returning to Dagobah was essential to resolve the dilemma raised by the previous film. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in trivia as well. Uh, many ideas from the original script were left out or changed. For instance, the Ewoks were originally going to be Wookiees, which I thought would have been pretty cool. And the oh. Millennium Falcon would have been used in the arrival at the forest moon of Endor. Also mm-hmm. following the defeat of the emperor, emperor, the film was originally intended to end with Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda returning to life from their spectral existence in the force along with Anakin Skywalker, then they would join the rest of the characters in the celebration on Endor. So instead of them being the force ghosts at the end, they would have actually have come back to life, which, yeah, I don't know if that's, I'm kind of glad that one didn't pan out. I like the force ghosts better. Me uh, too. And some of that stuff, you know, like the Wookiee battle we got in the prequels where you got to see mm-hmm. where uh, Chewie came from, which is kind of cool. So some of that stuff got to live on, you know, yes. decades later. This is one of my favorite uh, stories. So fake scripts were distributed to some cast members that were considered likely to leak information to the media. So it's like, <laughs> we think this guy is going to be 
he's going to leak stuff. So we're going to give him the fake one. Some of these phony story elements were indeed leaked, such as Lando being revealed as the quote unquote last hope for the Jedi mentioned by Obi-Wan and Yoda in Empire Strikes Back. So I was trying to think if I could think of any of those rumors that I heard as a kid, but I think I was just no. too, too little to remember, but you know, so uh, who is the Mark Ruffalo of that group? That's yeah. what you have to figure out. <laughs> yeah. Who is, who's a loose lips person from that? Right. Camp? Right. So, so that's what I've got as far as like pre-production, you know, we'll talk about some trivia stuff as well, but everybody knew, I mean, I, we knew that Lucas had a full, you know, he had a full nine episodes suppose or six or nine. I can't remember now. He had multiple episodes planned. Right. Uh, yeah. So he knew what he was, you know, once star Wars became a hit, he knew the sequels were coming. Empire Strikes Back was much anticipated, but I think this one was probably even more anticipated just because how Empire Strikes Back really built and improved on what Star Wars was, even as great as it was. But, you know, even going back and watching them, like there's not a lot of action in the first movie. Like it's all towards the end. And then you, Empire Strikes Back starts that new formula where there's a battle scene at the beginning, then there's story in the middle, and then the big battle at the end, which has continued to be in pretty much all of the prequels and the the new sequels that have come out the last couple of years. So, mm -hmm. which is always fun because you start, it's like you start the movies and you're like, oh, I forgot this one's the one that starts, you know, like Empire Strikes Back has the Battle of Hoth, which is one of my favorite, you know, battles of all of them. Yeah. Um, and then this one, you know, Jabba's palace and the fighting and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and now these messages. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooged, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagging with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes! <sighs> what seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues, I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture-themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR! But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. Comic books have been around for almost a century, and in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. 
On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. I want to talk about it now. I thought we'd talk about it later before we jump into casting, but I know we kind of briefly mentioned I want to mention it because I'll probably forget once we get going, but probably my least favorite change they made to the new one is the new song at the cantina or at the at Jabba's palace is like, I actually had to fast forward through it today. Cause I just could not, I just couldn't sit through it. And I was like, and the bad thing is like now, because I don't remember what the old ones, you know, I'm sure you can find it online, watch the old music from the original one. But yeah, uh, I just, that's one of those scenes where it's like, Lucas, what were you thinking? Like, why did you think this was going to make, the movie any better well i can't appreciate in that scene that they got the same uh blue guy with the big yeah. snout looks kind of <laughs> like an elephant with big old ears but right. he was a piano player you know yeah. back in the original one in tatooine mm-hmm. the, the bar so right. it makes sense he's still on tatooine he's just <laughs> gigging at the palace now right right, so right he's moved up a little bit in status mm-hmm. as musicians both of us we right. can appreciate right. that upward gig trajectory <laughs> that he had <laughs> right right Hopefully he From wasn't a cantina a, band, you know. Right. Hopefully he wasn't a slave on the ship, though. Hopefully he didn't get captured or something. So. I know, and I, I don't know if that was just you know that cantina song. I don't want to break any you know copyright, copyright laws, but yeah. I, I just I just uh, hum like two bars. So yeah, but I everybody knows what that is. I wonder if it was a, an attempt to try and recreate some of that kind of magic of the first one, because mm-hmm. there wasn't really anything like that in the second one. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I, you know, and, and it does represent Tatooine a little bit, I guess. It kind of harkens back to that mm-hmm. in the first episode. So, yeah, Lucas did say that he was trying to make Jabba's palace very similar to the cantina in the sense yeah. of all the different kind, kinds of creatures. Like that was something he really liked is all the different, uh, you know, beings and you know aliens and different creatures and stuff all that stuff which he really liked so it it did give that that opportunity i don't uh the palace and on the barge as well which is another Mm -hmm. you know that that sequence was pretty pretty good so yeah all right well i just wanted to share my disdain for the band before we got (laughs) got, got if if we're having moments like that i'll say i'll say this it's not something that was added in right the 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 part of the movie I didn't really like a whole lot is when Leia first meets the first, um, what do they call Ewoks? Ewok. Yeah. Yeah, first yeah, yeah. Ewok out there. It, she treats it like such an animal. I can't stand it. <laughs> I'm like, this is like another race of, you know, they're not humanoids. I know, right, but they're, right. they're, you know, she treated such like a dog. In fact, she gave it little food, just asked it to sit. Right, <laughs> and then right. she even petted it on the head after <laughs> a little while. And I thought, man, all this stuff is just too funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right, well, well, let's jump into casting, and we really don't have much to cover, as Chris and I were talking about before we started recording, that there's really no new characters in this movie. As, as we've done for the last couple of sequels, you know, we've kind of skipped over, you know, all the characters that we had talked about previously. So there's really not anybody technically new to talk about. I'll hit a few little trivia things, but I will go down the cast list just for the sake of mentioning those. And, of course, there were some new characters that were brought in that 
didn't have much that they did outside of this movie that we'd really say, oh, I remember that guy from this or a different filmography. So that's why they're not listed. But uh, top build cast, I guess we could say, of course, Mark Hamill returned as Luke Skywalker. Harrison Ford, we mentioned, as Han Solo. Carrie Fisher as Princess Leia. Of course, Billy D. Williams returned from uh, as Lando from Empire Strikes Back, where he was introduced. Uh, C-3PO was played by Anthony Daniels. Peter Mayhew as Chewbacca. Kenny Baker as R2-D2. Uh, and Kenny Baker was actually the one that was supposed to play the main Ewok that um, Princess Leia meets, but he actually got food poisoning. And so that's how Warwick Davis got the part of playing uh, that Ewok. And uh, then he took over that role and Kenny Baker ended up playing a different Ewok that I didn't have as much to do in, in the, in the thing. Of course, one know Warwick Davis went, I guess he's probably the only one new character or new actor in this one. Of course he went on to do Willow with uh, George mm -hmm. Lucas and all those kind of things. So uh, definitely want to mention him for sure. And then we have Ian McDiarmid as the Emperor. Alan Webb was originally cast in the role, but he dropped out due to illness and actually passed away like within the first couple of weeks of shooting, shooting. Lindsay Anderson was offered the role, but he declined due to scheduling conflicts with his British show Britannia Hospital. Britannia Hospital, I guess. I didn't recognize the name, but I didn't watch yeah. British TV. Uh, Sir Ben Kingsley, who we all know, and David Suckett were also considered. So Ian McDermott, of course, continued to play Palpatine for the newer sequels, or mm -hmm. yeah, I'm sorry, the prequels, uh, and then the last newer sequel. According to him, George Lucas originally cast him simply as the physical performance of the Emperor, similar to David Prowse as Darth Vader. This became evident to him when a producer told him that if he was able to get his voice close enough to Clive Revels, who portrayed the Emperor's voice in Empire Strikes Back, Lucas would let him use his on-camera vocals in the final cut of the movie. However, McDermott felt he could conduct a stronger, more wicked and demonic voice for the Emperor as opposed to the Revels' more aristocratic Emperor. Lucas and even Steven Spielberg were so impressed with his take that it ended up becoming a signature trait of the character. And I want to say they went back and re like he went back and redid the audio in the yeah. new versions so that you have continuity in all the movies. So for sure. Yeah. But yeah. I didn't, I don't think I realized that until much later that that was that Ian McDermott had played the emperor that you know, all that makeup they put on, make him look older. He wasn't really that old. I think they said he was only like, seven years older than Luke Skywalker at the time of filming. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, mm -hmm. so interesting. And then uh, Frank Oz returned to be the voice and puppeteer for Yoda. As we mentioned earlier, David Prowse as Darth Vader. Of course, James Earl Jones was the voice of Vader, and Sebastian Shaw is the actor they used to play Anakin Skywalker when the mask comes off, which David Prowse was not happy about that he had <laughs> he, had played, he had played the physical Vader, you know, for these other three movies. Like, oh, I finally get to see my face. No, we're not using you for this shot. We got another guy. Uh, so uh, kind of a kind of a downer for him. Uh, Alec, up, yeah. yeah. Alec Guinness returned as Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then mm -hmm. only you mentioned his name because he was a famed uh, voice actor. But Larry Ward was the voice of Jabba the Hutt. But that's the cast. Anybody I left out that you thought was worth mentioning? No, I, I don't think so. <laughs> One of my favorite characters in the whole thing that's like a little bitty tiny character mm -hmm. is the uh, man that comes in after the huge beast gets killed by the door because <laughs> he, he's so upset. Like he's yeah. a, I, yeah. the beast keeper. He's got to be the beast keeper because mm -hmm. he's so upset yeah. about yeah. that gigantic thing. I'm like, how could a little man like you take care of that thing mm -hmm. anyway? 
<laughs> you yeah. brush your teeth at night or I don't know. Yeah. But uh, you, you bring that up and that's something like today going back and rewatching it. I picked up on certain scenes that are like that one. It's like, it's almost like just a little added thing. That's just for comedy yep. or like it's for the kids. Like there's just little things like that. Like there's that. And then the one thing that it, it kind of irritated me this time. I was like, why, why would you do that? But when a Chewbacca is swinging on the rope with the Ewoks and he does the Tarzan call, I was like, somebody thought that was a good idea. And I'm like, that's those why? two, you know, that doesn't even fit into <laughs> don't know, you know, you know, it's no kind of logic to that at all, but no. I'm sure it was like, man, that'll be funny. We'll do that. You know, put that in there. <laughs> you know, the Wilhelm Wilhelm scream is, is done a couple of times. And they said they even yeah. put one like in one of the celebration uh, segments it's it's not as pronounced but it's still there and they said they had to have done it as like a joke an inside sure. joke and so i was like wow yep. that's crazy so yeah so there, you know, there's definitely a couple of those scenes where it's like this is which i kind of think what that whole like the the singing scene in the in uh java's palace i felt like yep. that was definitely for the kids it's very yes. animated with the mm -hmm. you know more cgi characters than the uh, physical effects or physical uh costumes so yeah. that that seems to be where Lucas was. I'm got to sell some toys. Here's some new characters for you to buy. That's right. The toys sure. for for sure. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's uh, talk about iconic scenes, favorite scenes. So uh, the question I usually ask is, if someone says Return of the Jedi, what's the first scene that immediately pops in your head? That would you say is the most iconic scene for you, or memorable scene? Well, it, it's very hard because, like you said, there are a lot of them. I think there are a lot of them. Um, I, I really like the the battle on Jabba the Hutt's barge. Yeah, uh, yeah. you know when that plan of Luke's all comes together, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you know the uh, the flying lightsaber through the air, and you know I mean it's it a lot of moving parts in mm -hmm. that section. But I, I guess for me, iconically, the the Emperor's throne room is huge yes and yes. Uh, the the actual throne you know that the emperor is on mm -hmm. when luke when the when the elevator first opens and you see that for the first time and he's way up elevated because he's up those steps anyway mm -hmm. but he's he's like peering down at luke you know and and from the from the jump it's like he's trying to establish how much bigger in in you know like spiritual stature and mm -hmm. in you know just is is in power and other yeah. things yeah. that the emperor really is and of course that's where the lightsaber fight is the final one between mm -hmm. luke and mm -hmm. and um darth vader and you know that's that's a a very different fight than the one in the emperor strikes back because yeah you yeah. know vader realizes he's not very you know cued into the force at that point <laughs> and so he starts to instead of just fighting with the lightsaber he starts using his force magic to throw things at him mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. telekinetically so and and he doesn't try that at all this time he you know he makes some comments about you know you have gotten really stronger the emperor mm -hmm. has seen it true you know that you really are powerful you know mm -hmm. and uh, it's more of a it's more of a hero and villain fight i mean one-on-one yeah. -on -one kind of mono and mono i know that's used all the time but it really <laughs> is like that in that in that scene and uh, i just really appreciated the whole makeup of that and you know as 
as Lucas tends to do in in pretty much all of these movies, he's got that moments the moments where the tide is turning. You know, it mm-hmm. looks like everybody's down and out, and the mm-hmm. tide starts to turn in all of the areas, right? And I think as that happens, it's happening in the throne room too. It's yeah. all reflected oh, in yeah. that in that showdown. It's reflected too, mm-hmm. and. Um, but I, I just, you know, that's probably it for me. The the biggest one for me. Yeah, I agree. I think the the barge scene is one that I've I've always liked, and I want to say that was the first time we saw like the. I remember the first time seeing when uh, Luke calls for the lightsaber in it, and R two D two shoots it out of the top, and you know, like that was like one of the coolest things. And I think yep. I had gotten the R two D two toy that came with that little you know, function. I had a little fake, I know he had one with the antenna that popped up, but I think he had one that had the little lightsaber, you know, it came out of, out of him. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty cool. And yeah, that whole battle, I don't know why Lucas felt that he needed the, uh, Audrey two from little shop of horrors to be the new face of the, 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 the Sherlock pit. Uh, yeah. but you know, cause it was, it was terrifying enough without, without that, I think. The unknown sometimes is more terrifying yeah. than the known. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, that was that. That's always been a great scene. I think I don't know if this was the first time too, but I know it's much done much more in this one where Luke uses the uh, lightsaber to deflect the uh, shots from the the troopers and like even on the barge and stuff when they're shooting mm-hmm. at him. He's using that to deflect, which I remember being really thought that was really cool to see as a kid. And and I think that. You know, as a kid, of course, I was a couple of years younger than you. The stuff that you played on the playground, like trying to, you know, relive those scenes oh, yeah. in your imagination, <laughs> running around like that was one of the scenes that definitely we did a lot over and over again. That and of course, being in the woods with the mm-hmm. Ewok battle, that scene stands out to me pretty well. The scene with the Emperor at the end is pretty big. Honorable mention, I'll say, yeah. is the the. I don't know exactly what they're called, but those speeder bikes that are yeah. on the moon of yes. Endor. Yes. I like all yes. those speeder bike chases. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's the closest you get to a good car chase mm-hmm. in a in a Star mm-hmm. Wars type movie. You know, you had the 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 pod racing in the newer ones, you right. know, which right. are the, the prequels. Uh, that was a, a real blast. I love those scenes mm-hmm. as well. And anything that's like fast and moving like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you saw a lot of the shots were from behind the pods. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it reminded me there was way, way, way back, man, at Six Flags, there was a show <laughs> called The Chevy Show. And mm-hmm. it was. And it followed fast cars and stuff, you know, all mm-hmm. over the road. And and that was a big part of what the the fun of that show was, you know. And I really enjoyed that part of the indoor fight stuff, uh, you know, when they first landed and trying to outwit those guys on those mm-hmm. speeder bikes. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. that, And I had one of those speeder bike toys. And the, yeah, me too. And the uh, the Stormtrooper, like those that, that style of Stormtrooper that rode yeah. on them. I remember those. Yeah, that scene. I remember my mom talking about uh, going to see that in the theater, and she was like, "the the the motion of it made her little lightheaded." Like she was like, "I can't, <laughs> I can't watch. It's too much. It's too fast." So and I always think about that when I watch that scene again. Probably for me, the most iconic scene I think is that I remember like really being say impacted. It's probably a little strong of a word, but just kind of like, "Oh my gosh." is when Vader's helmet came off, like when he threw Palpatine over the side and then he, you know, he's like, help me take my mask off. And that, that moment of him seeing his real face like that, 
I think that's the scene that probably I think about the most. When I think of Return of the Jedi is like seeing Anakin Skywalker for the first time. Then I think the scene not you know, not much after that when the, he burns the body and you know the the whole death scene there. So like I said, being a little older, those scenes kind of had a little bit more resonance with me of understanding. Of course, as you get older, you know sure. they even even mean even more. You understand uh, a little bit of the uh, the dynamic. And, you know, and for what it's worth, you know, there's some people that say, did we need the prequels? Were the prequels really necessary? And I think now that we've had time to really watch them and digest them, I think seeing that backstory of who Anakin was does give that that moment now watching it a little bit more depth and a little bit more uh, sentiment to it than just, you know, he was just the big bad for two right. and a half movies. So there, sure. we didn't, we couldn't see him as a real person. So the, to then go back and see the progression of Anakin from a kid to a young adult and being turned to the dark side and what he could have become, and then mm-hmm. see that full redemption here in this story of like he didn't, you know, he had succumbed to the to the dark side up to that point, and his son came and showed him there was a better way. There was still good in him, and for him to make that turn at, the, at you know at that moment it does ring a little, little better after having the prequels. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, I think they played that scene as, as perfectly as they could have from mm-hmm. a writer standpoint when, you know, Luke's like trying to truck him up the steps of the, you yeah. know, of the ship and like, let's go, I'm going to save you. I'm going to save you. Right. And he's, and, and Anakin says, you, you, you already, already have. did. Yeah. You already have. I, yeah. I, you know, you already did. And so you're right. Not having any of that backstory. What are you leaning on there? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you're you're leaning on the fact that he turned good at the very end of that movie. That's mm-hmm. that's all you have to, to go off of. You know, he was Luke's father, but you didn't know anything about him in that capacity. You know, I thought they might have played together as kids or something like that. <laughs> right. You know, right. You know? You yeah. don't know. I mean, yeah. that's what I'm saying. There's without the backstory of the initial three that they came along later and built in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right. It it doesn't. It rings more hollow in the original when I would have seen it way back as a kid. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I, I think it matters a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes me think about some of the things too. For this one, they kind of had to retcon. You know, because stories change. Like from the original Star Wars in '77, when it was like Vader killed your father. You know, yeah. that's what we that's what we thought. And then you have to have we have to have that conversation where the force ghost of Obi-Wan comes and tells Lucas like, well, it was true from a certain point of view. We have to understand, you know, it's like they they kind of have a little 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 magic movie dust on it. to kind of, Yeah. Remember we said, yeah, we meant it this way. Don't don't think about that anymore. And, you know, and then, right. you know, Luke and Leia being brother and sister. Well, but you kissed mm-hmm. your brother in the first week, but they didn't know they were brother and sister. But is it still kind of creepy anyway? You know, so uh, but yeah. I think they did. They did kind of a good job because even that scene at the end, you know, because Han in this movie, she professed her love to Han before he was in Carbonite. And he comes back and he keeps seeing this relationship she has with Luke. And he's like, wait, I thought we had something going on, but maybe it's not. And then she has to say, well, I love him like a brother. And then the realization on his face was like, oh, brother, you know, it's like it finally, you know, finally hit. So, you know, they they did a good job of trying to kind of pull those things together and then even when he goes to uh yoda and yoda tells him about leia being a sister that had to be pretty well laid out Mm -hmm. to kind of fix those continuity problems that they really didn't have time to do between one and two so here you know we're closing out the trilogy we've got to 
you know, kind of put these, these pieces in to help people understand yeah. that that's what happened. So, mm-hmm. all right, well, let's talk about a few uh, scenes and trivia or some trivia, maybe think, make us think of some other scenes as well. Mm-hmm. I won't cover all these. Some of these will be in the show notes uh, that we won't get over, be able to cover, but if you want to know a lot of the, you know, special effects and all the puppeteers and all that kind of stuff, go find that online. I'm not going to read you a bunch of it because especially for a podcast, it's hard to like, those are good for the behind the scenes featurettes to see the visual effects. So I'm not going to hit too much of the, too many of those, but this I thought was interesting. The job of the hut puppet took the team three months to build. It cost $500,000 to make and it weighed 2000 pounds. Really? Yeah. Man, the, I mean, the weight of that, uh, it shocks me. That's yeah. pretty shocking. It took like seven or nine different puppeteers to wow. to move all the different parts of Jabba. The, in the original cut of the first Star Wars, Jabba the Hutt was an actual human form man that filmed a scene with Han Solo. And of course, now when you go back and watch it, they reinserted that scene with the new yes. Jabba, who is obviously about two times smaller than he is in Return of the Jedi. So yeah. once again, another, you know, I like the sentiment, but the execution was not done very well. You know, this is another one kind of pretty well known, but uh, Jabba's sail barge was filmed in Yuma, Arizona. The crew had problems avoiding the $35,000 dune buggy enthusiasts that were in the area at the time. Also to preserve secrecy, the producers claimed to be making a horror movie called Blue Harvest with the tagline Horror Beyond Imagination and even had caps and T-shirts made up for the crew. A chain link fence and a 24-hour security service could not prevent diehard fans from entering the set and sneaking some photographs. So they were like, we can't let people know that we're filming a Star Wars movie here in the desert. So they thought giving it Blue Harvest name would uh, would suffice. And I've you can find pictures online of uh, Spielberg and Lucas wearing Blue mm-hmm. Harvest shirts and hats. I think it's great. Following the success of Boba Fett, who appeared in the comics and being a popular supporting character, George Lucas admitted he had no idea the character had become so popular when he was making this movie. <laughs> he mentioned yep. that if he had known, he would have given the bounty hunter a more memorable death scene. Lucas even considered adding a shot of Boba Fett escaping from the Sarlacc pit for the 2004 DVD release. Ultimately, he decided against it as it did not want the viewers to be distracted from the intended storyline. Nevertheless, this was finally materialized in the book of Boba Fett in 2021, which we all... Mm-hmm. Probably the best part of that series was that opening of him coming out of the Sarlacc pit, for sure. Yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. So you mentioned the Emperor's chair. I thought this was pretty fun. So the Emperor's chair was mechanized so that it could rotate when the scene called for it. However, the mechanism never worked properly, so Ian McDiarmid had to move it by shuffling his feet. A piece of tape on the floor told him when to stop so it would not be visible to the camera. (laughs) I mean, you're making a you know, million dollar movie and you can't get your, your chair to rotate. That's, that's pretty bad. That's I got back. I guess with everything else they had to get fixed. That was one thing they could, you know, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We can make you a 2000 pound job of the hut, but yeah. we can't yeah. make her a chair that moves. <laughs> exactly. 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 Sorry, man. We, we, your feet. It's okay. yeah, we spent $500,000 on Jabba. We just don't have, it's not in the budget. Fix your chair. You can use your feet, right? Yeah. Oh man. That's crazy. Oh, so we talked about this, about Yoda originally wasn't going to be in the third one. So in the DVD release, the 2004 DVD release, George Lucas explained the reason behind why Yoda told Luke that Darth Vader was his father. Lucas had consulted with a child psychologist during the making of the movie. The psychologist said that unless it was in, how can I say this word? 
unless it was unequivocally. Oh, that's it. The psychologist <laughs> said unless it was unequivocally stated that Vader was Luke's father, moviegoers age 12 and under would dismiss Vader's claim to be Luke's father as a lie. He decided to go through with this when James Earl Jones stated he personally didn't believe Vader was telling the truth in Empire Strikes Back, no matter how many explanations he was given. So he's like, we got to have this scene for it to be, we would know that it was, it was true. So I thought that was interesting, but he went to psych, child psychologist and said, Hey, kids are going to think it was a lie unless you tell them it otherwise. So once again, he made this movie for kids. Plus he really had to go back to Dagobah. I mean, he promised yeah. it would come, come yeah. back after he left early to go save everybody at cloud mm -hmm. city. So yeah. he didn't have much choice. I think, I mean, you could, you could have just assumed that, well, he, he's now a Jedi. So mm -hmm. he probably went back and completed his training in the time period between when, you know, Han was in carbonite all that right. time, but, right. but having it actually appear back, mm -hmm. you know, on, on the, uh, in that third movie was, was really a good stroke. I think. Yeah, that was my, that was my assumption. I think or thinking back what I thought as a, you know, nine-year-old kid or whatever. But I think my assumption was that between M the end of Empire Strikes Back and the beginning of Return of the Jedi, that he had gone back and had more training. So even when he comes back to see Yoda and Yoda's like, I'm going, I'm old, I'm about to die. You're good, kid. Go yeah. go live your life, uh, you know. But it it does feel that scene is only there for him to confirm that Vader was his father. Like there's really no other reason for that scene to take place at that moment because he arrives, Yoda's like, I'm tired now. I'm going to lay down yeah. and fade away. It so, is interesting too, in that scene, you know, we, he said he's come back to complete his training. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say you you've done all the training. He yeah. says, have you what you need? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So you may not be done, but mm -hmm. you've got what you need to conquer your obstacles. You'll face So Yeah. What I do think, and I think maybe I only noticed this this time watching it, I think there's a line there where he was telling him there's another, you know, you have a sister or you have another that you have to train now. You know, mm -hmm. everything that I've taught you have to you have to teach. And I don't think I ever really thought about that about Luke training Leah, but of course we saw that in kind of a flashback scene. It yeah. was at the last the, the rise of Skywalker. I think it was in that last movie. We finally got to see that. And I know there's there's been so many books and comics that have, you know, different, you know, that are now considered canon where all that's sure. kind of been realized as well. So, uh, but mm -hmm. I don't think I really remembered that line until, you know, watching that today and then, remember, oh, they did show where Luke was training Leia for a while, you know, shortly after that. So it was cool to see that kind of that little line kind of come to fruition, even in the later later movies yeah i think it was good too that they were they had her moving towards a more of a jedi type mm -hmm. you know trick mm -hmm. uh if you want to say that she was doing more with uh shooting guns and being mm -hmm. more in the line of fire i mean not she would you know in the first movie she was more like even though she was always very forceful and leader you know had leadership mm -hmm. qualities she was still kind of the damsel in distress you know yeah. a lot of the oh, yeah, first yeah. movie yeah but as she continued to progress in her character um it mm -hmm. showed uh, especially as she continued through these most recent three movies yeah. right yeah exactly the, uh, the additional sequels she has become much more jedi driven mm -hmm. and i think they built a lot of that foundation pretty well in yeah. this movie yeah i agree a few more and then we'll start to wrap this one up so i thought this was really cool i want to mention this so neen noom lando calarizian's co-pilot actually speaks a kenyan dialect called heya 
According to sound designer Bent Burt, the lines were delivered by Kipsang Riddich, a Kenyan student living in the U.S., and are actually correct high-end translations of the English text. Audiences in Kenya were reportedly very thrilled to hear their native their native tongue spoken in proper context, which I thought that was just one of the best stories of the movie for sure. A little hidden gem. Yeah, yeah. I think I I knew this at some point, but I had to be reminded. But we remember the move, the pop group Toto from the eighties, right? Yeah, yeah. You knew that the lead singer was Joseph Williams, the son of John Williams. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, I think no. I, I was like, I think I knew that, and then I forgot. So yeah, so wow. Joseph Williams uh, collaborated on collaborated on part of the score, and he actually wrote the lyrics for all of the Ewoks songs in the movie. <laughs> so little right. Toto, you know, we bless the rains out in Africa and yeah, in the go. moon of Endor. So that's right. Uh, so this <laughs> is this is my last thing, and I thought you know both of us we both been to Israel, so I thought mm-hmm. this was great uh, thing that I didn't pick up on. So I saw this. So the Ewoks victory horns and the return of the Jedi are actually a real instrument. They are shofars. Mm-hmm. A shofar is a Jewish ritual musical instrument made from an animal's horn, usually, though not always, a ram's horn. Shofars are still played on important Jewish holidays, festivals, and other occasions, especially during the high holidays like Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Furthermore, the specific shofar recordings used for the Ewok celebration scene were actually first recorded by the film composer Elmer Bernstein for the 1956 biblical epic, The Ten Commandments. During a 1991 interview with Terry Gross on the national public radio program, Fresh Air, composer Elmer Bernstein described how he recorded these shofar sounds. He said, when we realized that a shofar was going to be seen on the screen, this is for The Ten Commandments, we had to find somebody to play the shofar. And for those who don't know, a shofar is a very ancient instrument made out of a ram's horn. Well, who plays shofars? Of course, rabbis, because it's still used in Jewish ceremonies. He said, we must have had, oh, I guess, 20 or 30 rabbis on the scoring stage blowing shofars for the scene. So <laughs> I thought that was great that uh, I never realized that in that scene that, that they were blowing shofars or that mm-hmm. was the sound and that they actually used the same uh, soundtrack or the same sound mix or sample from the Ten Commandments. So I thought that was pretty pretty. That is pretty cool. And now these messages. Hey everybody. Do you ever just sit around with your friends and reminisce about the days and how things used to be when you were a kid or a teenager or maybe even a young adult? The TV shows and the movies that you watched at the time and how things just aren't quite the same today? Well, let me tell you, I've got the place for you. My name is Chris Adams, and I'm the host of the podcast Retro Life For You. And here at Retro Life For You, we talk about and discuss movies and TV that is retro. And we are going back from the 80s and the 90s and into the 2000s. Hey, sometimes we might even touch back to the 70s if we're feeling good. If this is for you, make sure you look for us on everywhere that you can find your podcast at. Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, Google, Stitcher. We're hosted on Anchor FM. And make sure you follow us on all the major networks and leave us a rating and a review. It really does help. Look forward to hearing from you. Now 
now playing on a cell phone near you. A show for all the manly men out there. Where guys talk about their favorite movies and what they can teach us about being a man. Featuring the coolest guests. Murder somebody is not like killing an ant. The most gratifying laughs. It's Tombstone, what can I say? (laughs) (laughs) And a fresh take on movies like you've never heard before. This will be the thing that gets written on his proverbial tombstone. We aren't here to criticize the movies you love, but to praise them for how they apply to our lives as husbands, fathers, and really all men in general. So buckle up your seatbelts, because Manly Movies is here. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast catcher. And remember, man up. All right, box office and critical reception. So Return of the Jedi hit theaters on Wednesday, May 25th, 1983, and completely dominated the Memorial Day holiday box office. It was the only new release of the week, so there wasn't really much competition. Other films in the top 10 included Blue Thunder at number two, Flashdance at number three, and E.T., the extraterrestrial, with number nine. There's no doubt that it won the box office and made tons of money. Uh, sure. that year it sold double the amount of tickets than empire strikes back did in its first week crazy rotten tomatoes has it at 83 percent on the tomato meter and a 94 percent audience score imdb has it 8.3 out of 10 with viewers and a 58 on metacritic which is just metacritic continues to just be a poor excuse of a of a critic site but so what does it rank for you is it in the 80s the 90s out of 100 for sure in the 90s i yeah. think I, yeah you know, I'm I'm not a hundred. To be honest with you, I'm not a hundred percent on board with the Ewok stuff. I, for <laughs> me, you know, taking down all that, you know, the mechanics and all mm-hmm. of those, you know, uh, with with just logs and, you know, rocks yeah. and oh, things. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, I, they're fighting with their sticks, and I understand they're trying to, you know, help their new friends out mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But they had to have known that they were so, you know, they were all sharing that same space before Luke right, and his right. buddies got there. Right, right. They had to know they were massively outgunned and would be destroyed at the moment, you know, of of trying to help them. So that part of it for me has a little lack of feasibility, you know. Yeah. So, but I mean, they were cute, and again, I think it was a hundred percent about let's merchandise the heck out of this, you know, because we can really these little fuzzy things, little bitty kids will just Mm -hmm. eat up, you know. They they're like tiny teddy bears almost. Oh yeah, yeah. You so, can all, yeah, I think you could say because I mean, the Ewoks became like their own thing. You had two made for TV Ewok movies, there was an Ewoks cartoon. Yep. I mean, I would, I would say they were the baby Yoda of the time. Like, that was something that you know, like, oh, we can't have Wookiees. What if we had baby, like, little baby Wookiees like <laughs> the Ewoks? And so, kids, you know, loved them. They were cute. They were cut, like, said they kind of they seemed like pets or whatever, but they yep. had their own stories. And so, I was a big fan of the TV movies. I remember watching. One of them, we back in the day when it's you know the end of the school year and the teachers are done teaching, they bring it, they roll in that cart with the VCR and the TV, and you're like, oh, we're gonna watch a movie today. And I remember like all of us, I think it was like fifth grade, fifth or sixth grade, all of the classes crammed into some, one of the classrooms, and somebody rolled in and we watched the Ewok, one of the Ewok made for TV movies that last day of school or whatever. And I was like, oh my gosh, we get to watch the Ewok movie. I'm so excited. I've seen it like four times already. Yeah, uh, but yeah, so that's so that's uh, and I was when it was recorded off a of TV, so we watched it with the commercials and everything, you know, <laughs> you know, copyright laws. We didn't care about it, it was school, that's right, it was for educational purposes, but, um, residuals, right, right. But yeah, I think people talk about the original trilogy 
they all they tend to put Empire first, which I don't I'm not going to disagree with them. I think mm-hmm. Return of the Jedi kind of gets pushed to the second place, mainly because of the Ewoks. I think that was people knew that that was Lucas appealing to the younger crowd. A lot of those comical elements and kind of the kiddie stuff is in those sequences, you know, them thinking that uh, C-3PO is a golden god and, you know, yeah. uh, Luke using the force to raise him up and, you know, those kind of, which as a kid I thought was all cool. I mean, it was all great. But as you get older, it's like, eh, that is it really ne- was it necessary for the story? Not really, but right. it's still kind. Yeah. It's still kind of it's cute and cuddly and it's fun and it makes for for it makes for good family entertainment for everybody for hitting all the age demographics for sure. So yeah, no doubt. All right, man. Well, it's been a blast having you on for this episode. Anything else you want to mention about the movie that we haven't covered already? Or I think we've covered it pretty well. We covered most of it, I think. I, I would like to say one little quick thing that I noticed sure. that I, I don't guess I've noticed this before, and I don't know why I haven't, because <laughs> in just before he gets put in carbonite in Empire, you know, mm-hmm. he he's she says, I love you. Yeah. And he says, I know. Right, right. And then that same line mm-hmm. goes, it happens, but in reverse order, right, when right. they're on the steps of the moon base mm-hmm. and and she gets hit, you know, by mm-hmm. a uh, blaster in right, the arm, right. and he comes to her aid, and they start to surround him, you know, and and she holds up her weapon that she's got <laughs> in her hand, and and he yeah. says, "I love you," and she says, "I know." I know. Yeah, <laughs> great. <laughs> I back. never noticed that before. How could I've yeah. seen this movie that many times and yeah. not noticed that? Yeah, that definitely stood out to me today when I watched. I was like, it's kind of the same thing. I was like, did I notice that before? Like, you know, she was kind of saying it back to him, kind of a you know, yeah. kind of playful way. So yeah. Definitely good, good callback, good fan service, as we would call yeah. it nowadays. I have to ask you before we cut this off tonight. Yeah, yeah. Do you what do you think about the very last ghost that they traded out for young Anakin? Because you know the original was yeah. the older yeah. guy that that when they took his mask off, mm-hmm. that was the Darth Vader guy that we saw. Yeah, I I would prefer the original. Oh man, you you bring up such a good point. I see it from both sides, but if it was my if it was my choice, I would have kept the original with the redeemed Anakin. Yeah. Because even you know, I think I, I was reading this like kind of right almost right before we started recording that Lucas put the young Anakin there, and they showed him before he became Vader, right? To show that he was still, you know, they still still the good Anakin. But I was like, but then you're you're kind of discrediting what you just told in the story of the redeemed Anakin should be able to stand there with Obi-Wan and Yoda as he's once again, a Jedi and no longer Vader. So it's also a little bit weird too, because you know, Luke at the age he is, is probably older than that young Anakin is standing there with his teenage father. Right. He's like, who is that guy standing with you guys? Hi dad. Yeah. Yeah. The first time he saw his dad, he's half machine. He's, you know, much older, you know, pale yes. white. So yeah, that, that, and even, even uh, Hayden Christensen who played it, he said that he didn't know when he filmed, they filmed him for that spot. Mm-hmm. He didn't know that was where it was going. And he said, if he would have right. known that it was going to be in that, that portion of the film, he would have played that a lot differently. He's like, Hey, you just standing there. Lucas, I like, just stand there for a minute. We get some <laughs> shots of you. And so yeah. he wasn't really know what he was being used for. So, right. Right. But yeah. But I, I definitely would go back to the, to the original with the, redeemed Anakin from the, with the older actor. So. Me too. That's what, that would have been my choice too. Just, 
I had to ask you though. Yeah, I'm glad you brought it up because that was definitely something I wanted I wanted to mention. So you know, we we we've hit most of the things that they changed. I think we talked about the ones we didn't like. There are you know other things like background pieces that I think some of the problems with the with the added things he did in the background. I even see it, even some in Empire Strikes Back. They almost look cheap. Like it, it doesn't look as real because it's so animated and CGI'd. Yeah. It doesn't mesh as well with the real props they had. So it almost stands out more instead of just being a background. Like it almost takes your attention away from what's going on. Cause I think in this one, I remember there's a scene where during that battle with Vader and Luke at the end where I think Luke goes under the stairs. And so Vader is kind of underneath and you can tell there's like CGI columns and like it makes the room like there's more, I'm sure in the original was more open space. Yeah. Uh, he kind of created like little columns and things to be in the way of Vader, which is like, he didn't really need that. I mean, it didn't change the intensity of the scene. And to me, it just looked yeah. like somebody painted in some CGI stuff. So, so yeah, that was, that was kind of a thing that really kind of bothered me. And, and you know, with the re-edits. I did think it paid off a little bit more in like the the bigger explosions and things. Oh yeah, yeah. They look yeah. much more vivid, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. um, and I also kind of like the you know at the very end they added uh like Coruscant the and celebrations, they added yeah. Naboo, yeah, mm-hmm. and you can see all these celebrations. So yeah. the, like the the Emperor's death had a more galactic kind mm-hmm. of feel yeah. and impact than yeah. you know just there on Endor. So yeah, I will say like when I the the last Last time I watched, like, from episode one to episode six, like, in, you know, chronological order, more or less, Mm -hmm. when it got to that scene at the end, it did resonate better because you had, it kind of took you back to those places where, like, this is how long it's taken for this to, for this battle or this uh, ending of the dark side to, you know, to be vanquished or whatever. So, yeah, it did pay off. It, It has a better payoff with all those backstories once again as we mentioned so especially on coruscant where you know the emperor really got his you know footing and started right you know right he, he started gaining his power from there mm-hmm. so i think that was huge yeah which makes sense because i think they said in one of the one of the versions it was not going to be on indoor the 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 battle with was going at that point was going to be the wookies was actually going to be on a different planet which is where where the it's like the, almost like the galactic empire's planet where like everything that they had was oh. going to be there and so but they it was going to be too you know too big of a a, a thing to kind of film so they went back with the moon of indoor um gotcha. so well we could talk another probably 30 minutes about it but we're going to try to wrap this one up <laughs> yes sir <laughs> but i appreciate you chris for being a part of the show always a good time to have you on i'm sure you'll yeah, have, you, have you again in the future it's the last star wars movie we can talk about in the 80s but we'll find something else cool to talk about sure but anytime glad to be here <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to follow, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. You can still support the show through buymeacoffee.com. Buy a t-shirt or sweatshirt from our website. Uh, We now have our merch on tpublic.com with some new cool summer designs uh, we did uh, the last couple months. I also have a new email address, so if you want to reach out to us, go to info at 80sflickflashback.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone who loves 80s flicks. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, threads, and TikTok. (sighs) All that I got to say at the end, but that's it. (laughs) All right, Chris, thanks again for being here. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Tim Williams for the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Good night, people.
you're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.